you're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad and I'm delighted to be in Ennis at the Ennis Priory and Carmel Shaw is going to take us around and tell us what you could find here when you take the time to come and visit and the Abbey is normally open from uh, Tuesdays I understand uh, tomorrow being Tuesday is the first official opening and the regular opening hours uh, daily Carmel, uh, you'll tell me all that stuff. Carmel, thanks a million, first of all, for welcoming us here and telling us what we're going to hear about. So, when somebody arrives here, what are, what are your opening hours and days? Well, we open tomorrow for the first of this season, and we will be open every day until November. We open at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we take last admissions at quarter past five in the evening. We're open all through the day. We don't close for lunchtime or anything like that. Okay, seven days. Seven, seven days. Seven days a week. Fantastic. And it's been a long wait to reopen. We are now, just to put it in context, we are talking, you and I, on the 12th of July, so you're opening on the 13th. Exactly. When were you open last? We were open last. We finished the 4th of November, 2019. Oh. So we weren't open to the public last year at all, unfortunately. The site, it wasn't considered safe to do so. As yeah. you'll see as we go through, some of our areas are quite narrow and it wasn't feasible to have public on site safely or for the staff. So there has been, as you see, we have the signage, we have the hand sanitizers, we have to limit our numbers for this season for the moment anyway that we have on site at any one time. Right. But we're delighted to be reopening and welcoming the public back on site right. again. And by opening on a Tuesday, it's giving you enough time to get yourself back into where you need to be by the weekend. Exactly, you might hear the, the drone of the lawnmower slightly behind us, it's all hands on deck today getting, getting the getting ready. ship shape ready for our business tomorrow. So when somebody arrives, we're coming through the gate, we're outdoors and we're led through and we uh, the entrance is indoors and uh, as we enter the building, first off, this building dates from when? This building dates from the 13th century. It was first founded in 1240, but as you see as we're walking through, there's different parts that, of course, have all been amended and rebuilt during the different centuries. Right. But the founding date was 1240, so the right. oldest building in the town of Ennis, and this is where the town got its name from. The town of Ennis in Irish is Inish, yeah. which means island. Yeah. This was an island site between two branches of the River Fergus. Okay. Now, if you came up Abbey Street there, you'll notice the club bridge right yep. across the street from us. There was another branch of the river back behind in the other direction there, and the island was an island between two branches of the river. The other branch is now dried up and built on, so we don't look like an island anymore. You don't need a boat to get to us today. You can come on the road. You can come on the road. But that's where the town got its name. This is the original name. So we can head in. So coming into reception, we can sanitizer. We'll have to take some contact details this season just. Yep. Then our normal reception isn't open because it's too small. We're going straight through and directly into the nave of the Friary. So in the area that we would be walking through, I see some pictures on the, the walls in there. What uh, do these depict? And these are just some scenes from around the site to give okay. you a little taster of what you'll see when you go inside. Right. We have the McMahon or Cray family tomb. We have St. Francis, founder of the Franciscan Order, with a lovely 15th century carving of him inside. Right. And then we have a very beautiful Madonna as well on the wall here. Okay. So would you like to come well, on in and we'll see the real... Come on in. Come on in. You'll come in down the ramp and into the nave area here and you'll notice one of the first things most of our visitors notice is we actually have a roof on this part of the building <laughs> and this is part of a major conservation project that took place in 2010-2011 the objective of the 
conservation rather than restoration. And this is the only indoor part of the friary here, and this is where our most significant features are located, our 15th century carvings. And as you can see, while it's a very high roof and with plenty of air circulating, where the carvings are located is rather narrow, so we will be limiting numbers on site at any one time for this season. Right. If there's a group coming, um, our phone is manned seven days, we have email contacts as well, that if anybody wants to book ahead, they can do so. And in doing so, Carmel, like you and I now are going around and we're going to, uh, public works provide fantastic guides, we've been on a number of sites, so the norm is that if there's a group particularly, you can have a guide, you'll arrange it. But are guided tours provided regularly at times for just that people will find on the website? Um, not as such on the site here. Our site is a little unusual in that where we are located here in Enniswerden, just nearly onto the Wild Atlantic Way, but not quite. Okay. And with Ennis, the market town, the county town of County Clare, gets um, a lot of tourists that are coming through. So they might be starting here, moving on during the day, or arriving later in the day. So we have found that running scheduled tours doesn't quite work because everybody's on their own, okay. their own agenda. What we normally work with is if somebody specifically wants a guided tour, if they ring in advance, even a short notification, we can provide a guide for them. If they come on site without a booking and there's a guide available, we're happy to do a tour for them. Right. With the bus groups or more scheduled, we would definitely have a guide available because we have notification on those. Now this year, again, because of the limited restrictions, what we will be doing is mostly self-guiding. Right. The guides will be available to answer questions, which we will do on the outdoor parts of the site. How much time would you recommend somebody allocate from when they walk through the door here to appreciate it appropriately? Depending on the level of interest, of course, um, our guided tours usually run for about 40-45 minutes. Okay. For a person coming in themselves, if they just want to have a, a casual walk around, you can walk through the site, have a look at most of the information boards and that, and be out again possibly in half an hour. But you find, particularly on a nice day, most people like to take photographs. It's a very photogenic site. A lot of our visitors, well not a lot, but some of our visitors do come with their art materials to sketch and draw. They can stay for the day if they like. There's right. no hurry on them coming or, or going in that sense. So again, as I say, depending on the level of interest. Now another thing we do on the site is we have a lot of um, activity tours for the children. Right. We have little activity sheets, kind of like a treasure hunt or a scavenger hunt, yeah. where they get um, a trail to go and find different things, and they're aimed at different levels. So we have picture quizzes for those that aren't quite reading yet. We have questions for those that are more literate and figure it out. And we even have a maths trail for those that aren't interested so much in the history but would like to figure out the maths involved in building the 13th century fire. So lots of different activities for different people at different levels if they're interested in and some of those one of our, our group our family quiz you'd want to give yourself a good two hours to finish that okay. one there's, there's some <laughs> challenging questions in that Carmel yourself then what got you into history? I suppose growing up in Clare it's all around us yeah. always had an interest in it and the OPW heritage sites there's about 70 of them all around the country that are staffed I think I've been to about 39 of them to date, right. working on the others. They've always interested me whenever I'm near them. always like to go and visit. They're beautiful places in the sense of our heritage and our own um, island. And I like to travel as well and have been to some lovely heritage sites and museums. 
in other places, including the wonderful Musée de Civilisation in Hull. In yeah, in Catnock, as yeah. it is now, yeah. Exactly. Good. Yes, yeah. indeed. And wonderful. it's lovely when you see other people's heritage, it makes you appreciate your own as well and make you more interested in your own. So, within your work, do you get the opportunity to apply for transfers to other locations? or and Yes, within yeah. the OPW it's possible, and we work for the OPW rather than a specific site. But here in County Clare, our sister site is Scattery Island. Yeah, we were there earlier on, the, on Saturday. On Saturday, very yeah. good. It's lovely, isn't Beautiful. it? Beautiful. Yeah. We've actually been working down there while our site was closed. So the guides from Scattery sometimes come into Ennis and we sometimes go to Scattery whenever there's a need for extra staff on either site. Then have you had the opportunity to get work on many Irish sites other than County Clare? Mainly in Clare and at one point in Galway as well. Delighted to hear you made it to the Museum of Civilization. Yes, it's fabulous. It's a fabulous building as well, isn't it? It is indeed. I had a a lovely trip over there one year, travelled from um, Toronto along the St. Lawrence Seaway out to Gas Bay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Did you get the opportunity to visit Brazil? Yes, I did indeed. I think I quite surprised the the, uh, very nice young lady that took us on tour out there when I got to the Celtic Cross up on the hill and inscribed on the three sides in French, English and Irish. And she was very surprised when somebody could on her tour could actually read the the Gaelic. So that uh, that gave her a bit of a start, I think, all right. Very moving, isn't it? Very, very moving. And I must say, what I found most... Uh, Stark, I suppose, was when you get off the boat there and you go through what were the decontam- decontamination section. Uh, a very stark reminder of what people had to go through. Okay, so and the statistics of how many of them never actually made it off the boat. Yes. That was really. Uh, I, it was. It was. It's, it's, it's spine chilling in many ways. Absolutely. And reading the, the memorial walls, the glass walls with all the names. Yes. Yeah. And we could find every one of our extended family names was on those walls. Right, right, yeah. So is, is something like the statistics that like 14% of Canadians have Irish heritage? It's a very high number. They say of the population of about now 35 million that over 7.5 million would claim. Uh, and if you had an opportunity to spend time around Quebec, you know a lot of the names like Moran, they say it's M-O-R-I-N, would have been Moran and yeah. Cassidy. Uh, I understand the name Sylvain is Sullivan, that was francophonized, and you have a lot of other names uh, like Murphy, you'd have Murphy's up the gas bay, right. they wouldn't have a word of English. So when you got to Ottawa, did you get to the Rideau Canal? Yes. And yes. the Celtic Cross there also. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. It, was, it was amazing to see. It is. There's so amazing. much, so rich in heritage. So mm-hmm. rich. And once we got further out along the gas bay, I thought the, the landscape was so similar to our west coast here. That I, found, I found that as well, actually. I found when we were going over to, and you look across from Grosseil, uh, you could be in Ireland. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, it was, must have been painful in every respect for people as they came down the St. Lawrence and saw the landscape. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah. It really gives them a longing for home. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that's, that's another thing, actually, you asked about people coming and how long they would stay here. The friary here, and it is a friary rather than an abbey. Okay. It was the Franciscan order that ran the operation. The O'Briens were the main patrons, the kings that gave the means to build it. Right. And the O'Briens, together with their clan people, the McMahons, were the main patrons at the initial stages of the friary. And one of the reasons they wanted it built the O'Briens was to have a burial place for their dead. So this site has been a burial place since the 13th century and we have a major project has been ongoing for the last couple of years. We have over 300 gravestones and memorial stones on site which we have recorded 
Okay. And we now have um, a nice database of them for any visitors coming back that are trying to trace relatives or any connections like that. And it is a, a, a huge area of interest for a lot of our visitors that mm. are, are coming from overseas. Yes. And again, people coming, we've had some really curious stories of different people that have come finding people. Um, one of our um, memorials just up here, the Crow Tomb, uh-huh. just here on, on the, the wall. This family, we believe, are possibly linked to um, one of the families that were agents for people emigrating to Canada. Okay. And as you can see, there's a bird on it. There's a lot of very interesting iconography on a lot of the memorial stones here, but it's not a crow, it's actually a rooster. So that's, that's one connection we have. The friary here was a Catholic Franciscan friary from the 13th century up until the 16th century, and of course it was closed down under the Reformation, as right. the religious houses were. After that, it was taken over by the civil authorities and became a courthouse and a jail and a tax court for a number of years. And after that, again, our Church of Ireland church, our Anglican church here, they were the established religion of the state at the time, took on the site remodeled it slightly and used it as their parish church up until 1871. So we've had quite a few different users and occupiers and they've all amended the site slightly to suit their own needs. But during the Church of Ireland tenure here, um, we had several clergy officiating, and one of which was a William Agar Adamson. I don't know if you've ever heard, heard the name mentioned. He served here for five years, and while he was living in Clare, apparently developed a great love of angling. Okay. Lots of great fishing around. After leaving here, he emigrated to Canada, okay. and he became chaplain to the Legislation Council out there, okay. and has written a book all about salmon fishing in Canada. <laughs> so we have another little connection. Indeed, there. oh, there's so many connections. And, uh, so, I, I, before we go, we've just walked past yes, some beautiful. Exactly. I noticed they're not roped off. They're not roped off now. What you're looking at here is the canopy from the royal tomb or the McMahon tomb. The canopy dated from the 15th century. It was located outside on the chancel. Mm-hmm. It had crumbled and come off the wall. It was taken away by our modern stonemasons that worked for the OPW and they did a terrific job on reassembling it. You'll notice the different colour in the stone. Yep. The darker ornamented pieces are the original pieces from the yep. 15th century tomb. The lighter colour are the newer inserts that they had to, create for us, yeah. to put into it. And they detail all the fluted column, the floral and the foliage, on the centre arch, the head of John the Baptist on the plate. That all comes from the original McMahon tomb. But the base plinth that you see on it is a new piece. Yeah. It was brought in when we got the new roof, which was all part of the conservation project. And then on the back of the plinth on display, you come along yeah. through here. These just sitting along those slots at the base. And these are very famous 15th century panels here at Ennis Friary. They are considered among some of the finer examples of medieval figure sculpture in the world. Oh, sorry, in the country. Um, where, and where had they been? They were located out on the chancel. I'll take you out and show you there. Okay. The piece on the top is Christ on the throne with the twelve disciples. And the five base panels all tell the story of the Passion of Christ. And the capture in the garden, the flagellation, the crucifixion, the entombment and the resurrection of Christ. Now, when we're doing a tour, we go through the symbology involved in, in the different pieces. But they are quite special, and as you can see, we are asking, again, to protect them. The, um, 
profile on a lot of these is remarkably point um, you can see it hasn't eroded over the in comparison you know you go to a graveyard and there's a grave that is a hundred years old and it's nearly worn flat these are in remarkable they condition are in profile wise yes they are indeed and that's why the, the conservation work was carried out to, to protect them for, for even longer and given the fact that they were outside on the chancel in the weather for a couple of hundred years it is amazing that they have have remained as well as they have Given all this wonderful artwork that was done, is there any history or written or research that has been done to try to identify the stonemasons or the, the artisans that may have been involved in any of this? We don't have their names, but we do have their marks. Right. And we have a lot of them here in Enniskiri. And again, back to your original question about how long to allow yourself to visit. If you're interested in stonemasons or the marks, do leave yourself plenty of time because we have a lot of their work to point out, apart from the ornate major pieces that uh-huh. have been commissioned to build, which is directly behind you, on this arch, which was part of the Sedalia. You see this guy here, the face? Oh, yeah, this? yeah. It's an upside-down head, yeah. eyes and a nose, and you can see his teeth. One of the little quirks of the masons, we believe, carving a little piece. So then, based on that, if they have left their mark, literally, yeah. um, uh, in some of the other buildings around the country, or particularly around the county, there may be a trail of where so some of it. these people have worked. Yes, yes. That is, that is usually it. It would be the, the signature of a guild of masons. I can show you yeah. some more of it. fascinating. Before we cross the, the yeah. main here, and I'd just like to point out St. Francis. Yeah. This is our, our image of St. Francis, again from the 15th century. And it is a, a, a very nice piece as well. You can see parts of plaster on the wall beside it. That would have been plastered over during the Church of Ireland tenure. And when the roof came off the site after the Church of Ireland left, Eventually the plaster came off and it was revealed that we have a, a lovely St. Francis image here and also an Ecce Homo cross on the right hand side which is the tale of the Passion of Christ and it is an amazing feat for a mason to have carved this detail into this one piece. It basically tells all the story of the Passion of Christ from the capture in the garden to the flagellation, mocking and jeering, the soldiers passing lots for his one piece tunic. Yeah. And the ladder and the hammer and pincers, the nails that were used with on the cross, all very clearly yeah. defined. Is there a, a mark on there to tell you who this? Thank you. Right. We have a little hammer symbol there, and if you look up on the corbel, do you see the two trefoils? Yeah. Yeah, huh? yeah that's a different mason working on that piece. Wow. Amazing, amazing. So we have a lot of different types of, of marks. So you mentioned that when it would have changed um, denomination, mm-hmm. that it would have been plastered. Yes. Is there any reason that you, you know why that was it to hide some of these things? Definitely, and we're pleased that they decided to hide them and not tear them out. Yes. So the, well, the plaster, it would, the, the nave would have been effectively remodeled. We believe they actually had wooden paneling in here at one point as well. When the Church of Ireland were here, they just used the nave. The rest of the site was already started to fall into ruin at that point. Okay. This window that you see here, that we have a very large window here dividing the nave from the chancel. The Church of Ireland had one quite similar. It's a little bit further forward, and they had their pulpit in front of St. Francis while he would have been obvious there. Right. And this was the area that they used. The original Catholic nave 
would have had much smaller windows, like those simple two light windows that mm-hmm. are there, the larger windows come from the Church of Ireland era. Which would explain why there's why breaking, why it's breaking through. To this, the stonework there. Okay. And see, as you walk around, you'd see lots of different amendments from different times and eras there. Right. Right. Now, this, the tower that we are underneath here, which is very iconic in Ennis, is actually a 15th century addition. It wasn't part of the original 13th century structure. It was added on. 15th century was really the high point in the life of the friary here. They reckon we had about 300 friars and 500 to 600 students on the site. So it was a very notable site within this region at that point. We're a little bit lost in the streetscape today. Uh-huh. You can imagine the size of this tower on this island site back then. It would have been quite an amazing sight to see for all the locals coming or going past. I imagine the community would have then been engaged in agriculture yes, in order to so just support rural. themselves. Yes, very rural. Um, so they would have had quite a bit of land. Not the friars. The friars, being a Franciscan order, they're mendicants. It depends on arms or patronage. Okay. So they would have been supported by their patrons, the O'Briens, and also with the local people. A lot of the other orders, you're quite right, that you would normally associate perhaps with the Cistercians, where they would have vast lands of uh-huh. farmland and run like a mini estate. But not so the Franciscans. The mendicant order, their mission is to preach the gospel and work amongst the poor. And that's why you always find the Franciscan friaries in a town and not outside. Right. And just when you said that their sponsor or whatever was going to take care of them, if you had close on a thousand people here between the friars, the abbots, or whatever, that's a large amount of sponsorship. It is. Of course, they would have lived quite, quite humbly yes, in those days. And they did have some um, means of keeping themselves in that. The River Fergus that runs along us here, they had a salmon and an eel weir. Okay. So they would have had some amount of supplies coming through. And the cloister Garth, Garth being the old word for garden, would have been a mini kitchen garden, possibly more for herbs. And it's not right. a huge space. They wouldn't have had crops as such, but they would have had some amount of, of growing space here as well. Right. The limestone that was brought because it's been up from all, all the various construction around it's mainly limestone yes. do you know where it came from? Um, they believe it's local coming from um, cycling north of here a few miles up would have been um, floated down the river right. and worked on site and that's one of the main reasons our carvings are of such interest because they are cut in our local limestone it's a very difficult stone to work it, it fractures very easily so the detail that you can see there in the H.A. Homo in the carvings from the McMahon tomb in St. Francis uh-huh. and also above our heads here just under the tower we have some more interesting detail on the corbel we have a tracery canopy in here and that's, the orig- that's an original? that's an original piece but not in its original location right. it would have We're been found on the tomb around the site and there was a major cleanup done here in the late 1800s when the site was handed over into the care of our predecessors the board of works right. and that was put in here at that point which has protected it further because it got it in out of the weather but we have a yeah. very lovely Madonna on the right yeah. she's um, a throne of wisdom sculpture in that she's seated rather than the, the standing S-curve one that you would often associate with images of the Madonna she's very long flowing hair and the Christ child seated on her lap as he's kind of raised and blessing for us. But if you look take closely at the left plane of the Madonna carving, there's a very ornate mason's mark on it. You see the circular mark there? I can, yes, it is quite ornate. Yes. Yeah. So that's a different style of mark from the, the hammer and the trestles that we have been looking at a little while ago. There's a bishop on the other side, 
and then on two covers we ended up seeing the guy with the curly hair and the crown yeah. and opposite him a bishop yeah. flanked by two angels. So lots of details so we get the children with their activity sheets to get them to, to look up and down and all around to see all the level of detail on that is remarkable. Yeah. And they're they're quite well preserved because they were under the, the tower here so they're yeah. protected from the elements. And on the other side we have two rams heads. Yeah. And if you look up see the four holes there, those are the rope holes oh, for the bells. Our bells are long gone unfortunately. Yeah. And our tower here has been hit not once but twice by lightning. <laughs> so it did quite a bit of damage to right, right. in the eighteenth and nineteenth century. So the top of the tower that you see today, the four pinnacles, that was redone during the Church of Ireland tenure, so it's more Anglican in style yes. than the traditional Going back to the markings there for the mason, I w- would imagine then that ultimately there's the ability to catalogue some of the work of some masons. There has been a project done here that all the masons marks on site have been catalogued and yeah. there's a very interesting article in the historical journal The Other Clare written on the masons marks at Ennis Friars. It's something we've, we've done ourselves and photographing yeah. them and, and publicising them as well. Right. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Yes, lots, lots of different ways to explore the friary here, depending on, on what your own interests are. So then, going outdoors, going it's outdoors. the roof no longer applies. But oh, the important part about the roof, of course, is that it means weather doesn't prevent you from coming in here. Exactly, and it, it has helped us greatly. We do a lot of school tours with the children as well, part of their history classes and their local heritage and that, and it has facilitated that hugely. Because yeah. of course in the west of Ireland we get quite a bit of rain here, so it is helpful to have the roof for, for those occasions. And the roof that is on it, the new roof, is following the line and shape of the last roof that was on it, the Church of Ireland roof. And the original roof on it would have had wooden oak beams with slate outside. When we go outside and you look back at the tower, you'll be able to see the original roof line, which was actually higher again than this one. Right. Right. So quite impressive building. So we're going to go out onto the chancel now, which is the, the sacred area of, of the church. Just to mind your step, it's quite uneven out here. Right. Now. We're out on the chancel and we're looking up at our magnificent five light east window. It's one of the major features of the friary here. The church faces east, of course, which most of them do into the rising sun, symbolic of the resurrection. And in the late 1300s, King Perlick O'Brien gave a gift of blue glass to the friars for that window. Very early days for glass, it would have been a very impressive sight. And we've got a dull day today, but when we get a nice bright day with a blue sky behind it, I like to think that's, that's what it would have looked like. Right. Very imposing, the main altar located here, and that blue glass in behind it would have been a very impressive sight in its day. And of course, being the premier spot, this is where the royalty were buried. So we have the O'Brien family tomb on the right and the site for the original McMahon tomb on the left. You were asking me inside the carvings we were looking uh-huh. at and this is where they were located. And what you're seeing up there now are replicas that were made from the original pieces were taken out. Okay. And they're copies that were put in to give you an idea of what it would have looked like. Right, right. It was all located out here. Right. Um, so you said when we look back then we will see, the, yes, you can see the line of the original, what would have been the original roof line. You know, one of the other interesting aspects of all of this is in modern world, before anything gets done, you know, there's the architect. Mm-hmm. And these are architectural, um, magnificent architectural buildings. Is there records anywhere of the architects? No, the architect, of course, most likely would have been the master mason of the day. 
Okay. We don't have any detail on the original builders of the site, unfortunately, other than their work that still remains today and those nascent marks. And then the other building, just as a general thing, given the amount of construction that was done, particularly in the 1200s, 1300s and right through, it would have required some type of architectural base to, to do that. Yes, so indeed, and you'll find a lot of the, the churches of that era are based on a similar plan. Uh -huh. You know, they're usually cruciform in shape. This started as a long rectangular building facing east-west, yeah. and the main entrance would have been the west doorway, church facing east. The tower was put in because they could afford to do it and enlarge it in the 15th century. We have a south transept, but unfortunately the north one never got built. Right. The, the friary had started coming to decline by that stage. But um, a lot of the churches, you come into any of our old churches, that's usually the access you find east-west. Yes. And another area to point out is up here to the right of our east window, this double arch, is that, that little niche that's there, and there's like two little basins underneath, yeah. a double piscina. And that was the, um, a little bowl for washing. The ritual ablutions of the Mass is the host is left on the chalice of the pattern and will stay within the walls of the church until it returns to the ground. And there's two drainage holes in the, the two basins that still work today. Right. And that's always a good indicator if you're wondering where an altar was located in the church. Have a look and see can you find where the casino was in the near where the main altar was located. Right. The fragment that's just beneath the east window there, that's part of the O'Brien family crest. You see the sword raised, the Lord Lauder of the O'Brien. And underneath the canopy of the O'Brien tomb, unfortunately we don't have any of the front left, but if there's some very ornate floral carvings in there, and it's part of our one of our trails, our nature trail to anybody having a look, you'll see that some of the ivies and the mallows and some of the roses that are carved there are still growing in the region today. And that again dates from the 15th century. Amazing. Lead on. We um. proceed on down here, down the steps and into our sacristy. This part has a roof and this is the original one. Barrows off the roof. And this is the sacristy where the sides would have prepared for Mass, also known as the chapter house where they would have read their daily chapter. There's a, a wooden spiral staircase that came down here from their domestic borders which were over on the north range. And they would have come in here and prepared for Mass and processed out onto the, the chancel then. And you'll notice from all the gravestones on the, the ground here, these ones are particularly well preserved because they were under the roof and they mainly date from the 17 and 1800s. And they are the townspeople, usually the merchant class, you can see quite a lot of them are quite large and some of them very ornate stones. They would have been the families that could afford to um, erect a very substantial memorial to their, their deceased. I'm seeing 1839, mm -hmm. uh, it's 16 years. Yes. Yes, that's very clear. Very clear. When you walk around, there's quite a few. Very few that would be that clear for uh, that age as well. And this is remarkably preserved. Cray. Cray family. The McMahon tomb that we were looking at out on the chancel. Yeah. And um, after the um, change in the church, trans people of the McMahons, their distant relatives, the Cray family, took over that site and used it as their burial tomb. And that black door that we're looking at from this side is a sealed door, sealed metal door, has to be cut open, and that's how you access the tomb. When that's open, there are steps down and shelves inside where the coffins are interred. And do you know how many are interred? No, we don't. We know there's a lot. And right. on the site here, as I say, we have over 300 recorded burial monuments, but it, there are thousands of people buried here right. without a, a memorial. I notice from where I'm standing, just quite interesting, the way the, the door frame mm -hmm. is not plumb. Yes. Uh, interesting piece of construction that yes. way. 
And did you notice on the, the pillar here? Yeah. Uh-huh. You see this little mark? It looks like a yeah. bird's foot. Yeah, and there's the mason's mark. Yes, another one. Yeah, possibly a position mark, as distinct from a signature mark or a receipt mark, which some of the other ornate ones might possibly have been. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. And, and the see here then leads out to the cloister. Uh-huh. Now the cloister garth, the small green area, and the arcade that you see just there's about um, a third of it there was reconstructed in the 1950s from fragments that were found around the site like the ones you see on the wall there yeah. and it was reconstructed just to give you an idea of what it looked like it would have come all the way around the square and it had a lean-to roof on the walls to my right there underneath the windows you can yeah. see a, a roof line yeah. and those buildings over there that those were the domestic quarters for the friars they had their kitchens underneath and their dormitories overhead those buildings have been in private ownership for a couple of hundred years now and it's now a pub and a restaurant called the Cloister yes so uh, it's still serving refreshments just to a slightly different clientele Carol when you put it that that was they given again the numbers mm-hmm. it was quite uh, close quarters that people were living in it was quite close quarters and those numbers that we've been given of course we don't have the time frame for when they were actually here possibly not all at the one time but right. over, over a period so the domestic quarters here there would also have been an upstairs across the top of the the factory yep. there was a library and a scriptorium and on site now unfortunately there's nothing of that left so it's, it's not uh, accessible to us but that's what we've located right there it's um, certainly it's an impressive impressive in every respect yes. and the state that it's in uh, is very impressive as well how it has been uh, maintained and restored to the degree that it has if you'd like to come through, we go. Yeah. We have. To, we do, can't walk on the circuit around the site. So we need to go back in through the nave to go out to the south transept and the main graveyard outside. Okay. okay. So while we're walking through there, you can tell me when did you get manage to get to um, Canada? Oh, <laughs> that was quite some time ago now. Of course, the architecture. Uh, you mentioned the um, Museum of Civilization in what's uh, now Gatineau. Uh, it has changed its name also. Uh, but interesting architecture. Oh, it's fabulous. Uh, it was, oh gosh, it must be nearly 20 years ago now. All right. We had some friends from County Clare yeah. who had moved out to Toronto and they lived there for a number of years. And yeah. of course, all of us were only delighted with that fact that they were very popular. I'm sure. Uh, their spare bedroom and couch and everything were, were rarely <laughs> empty. We were all coming to visit and all very much enjoyed our our visits over there and they indeed enjoyed their, their time living in Toronto yeah. full of family grew stronger as their, their children started to grow and they've moved back to County Clare again mm. but um, yes that was, that's how I managed to uh, that's how Ontario became mine to discover right. <laughs> for a couple of years while yeah. they were out there and had yeah. a lovely trip yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, so we've come now out. we're in the South Transept 15th century edition during the, the time when the diary was being enlarged and the features here, really, you can see another double casino in the corner. Uh-huh. The windows that are here, you'll notice the different traceries on them. And there was a, an altar underneath each one with a different dedication to Our Lady or Michael the Archangel. Right. Friars would have used it for private masses, but they didn't have the large congregation. Right. And we believe that it's in this part of the building that the church fire had actually started their tenure while they were re-roofing the nave inside because it had 
and um, the original transmission needs to come down and they reroute it and then it needed to be done again after some of the chemicals fell off the tower during one of those lightning strikes that I was telling you about. Carol, you mentioned that the Franciscans tended to build in communities because they were catering to the poor. Yes. Is there any record or indication of what the population around here was at that time that would have encouraged them to cite themselves here? At the time, it, the town very much grew from this church and the O'Brien Castle on the Clown Road. So when they started here, the congregation, their congregation would have been quite small and it would have been a small number of friars. And they started with a much smaller building. Now we have a founding date of 1240. Right. So they would have started with a smaller structure. And this building probably wasn't complete until about 1280 or so. Okay. So we don't have any actual numbers on it, but it would have been quite small to start and grew from there. And this uh, made the Road Castle belonged to the O'Brien. Yeah. With a royal dune, especially was made in mud. So there's nothing of that to see today. Okay. But the church, their church, is built in stone. This is what exists from the early days of the town again. And Ennis would have developed as a market town. As a market town, very much so. It's our, our county capital and our yeah. administration yeah. capital. A lot of our visitors are quite charmed by the narrow streets that are here. It has very much retained its, its identity. We do have some of the, the chain stores here, but not to the same extent as some of our larger cities. Right. And a lot of our visitors actually enjoy that. It's not one of the main tourist hubs per se. And a lot of our visitors to the Friar here, having been to um, other sites that are very busy, they enjoy the fact that the guide has time to talk to them and indeed. go around and, and see you under the site at their leisure. Indeed, indeed. Let's take a little bit of a walk up the graveyard. This is um, part of the site. Okay. That, um, if you see any Appro appropriate place to be finishing up. Finishing up. But we get, we get to leave. Not for a while yet. <laughs> we get to leave. Um, <laughs> if you see any photographs of the Friar and we have the uh, maintenance going on yep. so you're right so it's this beautiful scene from out here and yeah indeed indeed it gives you the best view of the site and it gives you a better idea of the size and it's hard to see it from inside right right it does indeed yeah yeah um, and the grounds have been beautifully maintained. Yes, Beckham and Lola are here doing great work. They come once a week or so all through the season and right. keep the place nice and tidy. So, in this space, have you um, given the rich musical heritage of County Clare? Uh, have any events been hosted under the roof in there? Um, had a few special events for Heritage Week. Yes. And also for Culture Night. Okay. And um, the site is open all the time to the public at any point, so we don't close off for private concerts or anything right, like that. Right. And also, as we've been talking about the, the graves and see some of the gravestones around. As part of the conservation plan of the site, the sacred nature of it must be respected. And Naturally. It was two traditions within the church. It's not, it's been deconsecrated, it's not a church today, it's a historic site, a heritage site. But one thing that we have noticed with all of our visitors, and we have people that, in any one season, we could have people from 50 different nationalities here. One thing we all have in common is very much a respect for the fact that it's a graveyard, and in, in that sense, we're kind of careful with. Naturally, yeah, yeah. Here, but yeah. we would have something um, in keeping with the site, possibly during Heritage Week, which is mid-August every year, right. maybe for Culture Night, that sort of thing. And 
when you speak of finishing up, I'm going to bring you back to the beginning again with the, the Franciscans, in that started as a Catholic Franciscan friary, became a courthouse, a jail, then a Church of Ireland church. In 1969, the title deeds for the site were handed back from the Church of Ireland to the Franciscan Order, and it was at that point it was handed over fully into the care of the state, with the proviso that there would be a plot kept for the Franciscan friars who are still residents and then here on this site. Right. The present day Franciscan friary is on Francis Street, it's literally around the corner from us, you can see it, just yeah. that building there. And if any of the friars that are serving there today, if, when they pass away, if they choose, they can be buried here with us on this site. So we are, um, so we are uh, still a, a graveyard in, in that sense. Right, right. Um, let's remind the listener again. Um, you're open up until end of. We've November. Going to end of November this year. We usually finish the end of October, but as we're starting later this year, and um, we are hoping to go a little bit later this year. But check back with us. We have a Facebook page. Our email address is nsfriary at opw.ie, and we also have the, the telephone line numbers are listed. And this year, because of COVID, the government have uh, opened up all these sites and made them available free. Indeed, which is tremendous. It's uh, like for staycationers or visitors, it's a tremendous year, tremendous opportunity. Yes, it is indeed. We would invite anyone local or national or international to, to come and visit. Whatever the weather, the welcome will always be warm. It will indeed. Thomas Shaw, it's been a real pleasure meeting you and learning about the, the uh, Friary here in Ennis. And thanks a million for the time. You're very welcome, Austin. Nice to meet you.